0: Welcome to the MarTech Matrix, the podcast where technology meets marketing and the future becomes now. Every week, we dive deep into the world of marketing technology, exploring how digital tools, AI, data analytics, and innovative strategies are reshaping the marketing landscape. Join us as we navigate through this complex matrix, interviewing industry experts, dissecting emerging trends, and decoding strategies that are setting the pace in this digital age. Your host, Sean Simon has spent the last 30 years leading a variety of MarTech companies from Broadcast.com to Criteo. Now he is the co-founder of the Cogent Collective, a community where marketing and e-commerce leaders come together to discover and vet solutions that address their business needs, bypassing all the noise that comes with technology searches. Learn about the community and see if it's a fit for you at CogentCollective.com. Today, Sean speaks with Michelle Bacharach, Founder and CEO of FineMind. FineMind is the leading content creation engine for the world's most iconic brands and retailers. The FineMind platform uses machine learning to scale the currently manual and tedious process of product content curation to power endless critical consumer experiences, such as dynamic curated landing pages, virtual styling programs, content for remote selling applications. Complete the look for e-commerce, customer care agent content, and more. FindMine solves the content bottleneck anywhere it exists. FindMine is a Gartner Cool vendor, winner of the VIP award for best SaaS cloud provider, 2x winner of Site Research Breakfast with the Disruptors, and Michelle is a retail Touchpoints 40 under 40 and an Inc. Magazine top 200 female founder. Michelle believes that we are at the forefront of a consumer behavior tide shift, where increasingly the brand identity and POV is the measure by which brands live or die. Brands who stand for nothing will be quickly commoditized, go bankrupt, or be forced to compete with Amazon solely on price and convenience. Now, get ready to enter the matrix. Here's your host, Sean Simon.
1: Michelle, welcome to the matrix. Now, that's quite an impressive list of accolades. So let's dig into how and why FineMind has been successful.
2: Ah, that's a big question. Um, Well, I think that we weren't for a while because the timing of what we were doing was obviously kind of ahead of the game. Um, You know, we we launched in 2016. We told people, we're using AI to do this thing your humans normally do. And they're like, what <laughs> like i don't know about that or like oh interesting but like i don't know where this fits in how do i use this you know how do i go to my board and say that we're using ai and we you know put all these other things on hold um so for a long time i think we were really like beating the drum for this type of technology and you know there were some early adopter customers for sure who kind of saw the vision but it was a while before i think people got comfortable with that as a concept and then obviously with everyone kind of Getting to touch and feel and experience AI through things like ChatGPT or, you know, the other technologies that are really like consumer facing, I think has helped um, people feel more comfortable with it. And so now our conversations are getting a lot easier. People are seeking us out and it's almost swung the other direction where people are like in the boardroom talking about what's our AI strategy. And it's like, is that really the right conversation to be having or is AI really just a means to an end of solving the business problems that you're already facing?
1: So. Yep. So, so let's back it up a little bit, maybe to the beginning, and say, so you built FineMind because you you recognized a shift happening, right, in the market um, when it came to how brands interacted with consumers, or how, at least how in- consumers were interacting with brands. From your own, I think, from your own personal experiences, I would imagine. So, can you elaborate on that as to like what you saw happening and and what led to FineMind?
2: Yeah. um, So I think what you said, it was spot on. It's both how consumers interact with brands and how brands interact with consumers. Both things were actually changing, Um, you know, back in like 2010 when I started thinking about what kind of business I would want to build, you know, having in mind that wanting to start a company, but not really sure what I would be passionate or excited enough about to, to take the leap. Um, And it was really around like consumer friction in the journey uh, and personally, my shopping journey because I'm not so fashionable. Right. I talk about this a lot, but like sort of self-deprecating, but definitely true. <laughs> I just don't have that eye that some people can be like, Oh, that top, I could wear it like this, like this, like this, like this, or, you know, um, they'll see like, um, uh, eye pencil like a blue eye pencil and be like, Ooh, I can make like this really cool look with that. Right. I just don't have that. <laughs> eye. And I think a lot of people don't. And, um, and so I was always just kind of forced into shopping one product at a time and like figure out what to do with it later. And that drove me nuts because I, I don't have this expertise it's, it's work for me to have to do that second step. And so the shift that I was starting to see in kind of consumer behavior, at least within myself was I was gravitating increasingly more to whomever was providing that expertise. Expertise that I felt like was missing from my shopping experiences. And so you started feeling drawn towards outfit of the day on Instagram. And, you know, this was before TikTok, but TikTok is obviously filling that need for a ton of people. So if there's an expertise vacuum, that vacuum is going to get filled by people outside the four walls of the retailer. And that's where this huge leak was happening. Like you're losing all your customers' attention to these third party sites and platforms and influencers and people you don't have any connection to. Um, and then the other thing that was happening was brands were trying to meet their customers where they're at. So like, okay, you want to be on Instagram. You want to be on, you know, your, your, your text all day, you're texting all day. You want to be in all these different places. We'll meet you there. We'll, we'll kind of have communication and conversations with you there. But what that meant for these retailers and brands is like, okay, I don't just have to program my website and tell a good story about, you know, our brand's vision and expertise there. I have to do it on all these platforms. Like, they're already not staffed and resourced to do it well enough within cool. just e-commerce and e- email campaigns. Like then you add SMS marketing and all these different opportunities, and it was really a pain for both both parties.
1: Yeah, we talk about this a lot. Um, there's a disconnect, right? So as a consumer, you're out on Instagram or you're out shopping, and then you come onto a brand's website, and it doesn't match the image that they're trying to project that you clearly see in their Instagram from their influencers or even when you walk into a physical retail store. Um, and I, and speaking personally, like I I've done that. I bought sport coat, so I, I'm like, I love that sport coat and I buy it and then I get home and I'm like, what shirt am I going to wear with it? Because it's got too many lines in it and I don't have any like solid shirts or I look like a, you know, a bad quilt. If I, if I wear everything <laughs> at once, um, it, it sounds a lot like personalis- personalization, but, Also, additives. How do you? How does FineMind fit into that sort of personalization experience? You know, we've seen that for years. Those widgets that say, you know, other people who looked at this also looked at that. How does how does it fit into that? Because it's different, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Great question. So I get this a lot because at first glance, it's sort of like, oh, you're recommending something, right? It's the same as what I already see. But when I explain it, people are like, oh, like. No, duh. It's so obvious, right? So the way I like to explain it is if you see that, you know, looking at a sport coat on the website and you see, you might also like, would you dress yourself in those things? If you did, you'd probably look pretty foolish because it's going to be other sport coats. It's going to be a toddler t-shirt because you also shop for your toddler. It's going to be, you know, a pair of trousers, but they actually don't go with the sport coat at all. Like it's ridiculous to presume that you could use that as a prescription for how to use this product and be successful. It's literally just telling you, you might also like these other products. It's right there in the name. (laughs) It's not trying to be anything more than that. So that's really important because in a lot of these brands and retailers, their catalog sizes are huge, right? They're trying to help you bubble up to the top some things that you might want without making you do the work of kind of going super deep and search and all that kind of stuff. However, what FineMind does is actually prescribing to you how to wear it. And it's not how to wear it based on what some other Joe Schmo on the website does, right? Because a lot of these um, recommendations are based on collaborative filtering, which means they're looking at what other people like you do and then giving Mm -hmm. you that same pattern and they're matching that pattern. Do you want what other people like you do? Or do you want to be a better version of yourself? Because you're not a guy who feels comfortable mixing the patterns, right? Right. You're worried you want to look like a crazy quilt. (laughs) But actually, this brand might be able to coach you like say it's Robert Graham, right? They're all about pattern on pattern. How can they coach you to be a better version of Sean who is confident wearing those things? So I liken it to what Fine Mind's doing is the window display or the mannequin in the store. Whereas you might also like is the other stuff on the rack. They both yeah. serve a purpose. They both need to be there, but they're complementary to one another and doing one without the other is ridiculous. You would never do that in the store. You need both. And so why do you think you can do one, not the other online?
1: Yeah, no, I've done that. I walked into a store and I'm like, I want that. I want that outfit, right? Yeah. And online, it's, 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 I think it's even worse. Maybe it's on men's sites. I don't know how women's sites are, but I'll be looking at a sport coat and I'll see, and I like it, right? And I'll see five other ones. And I'm like, oh, I like those too. Now I'm like, now I'm thoroughly confused. Now it actually makes me stop. And I don't buy anything because I know I need to think about it, right? So it's not continually leading me down that purchase funnel. It actually slowed me down, um, and didn't help me. It kind of just made me more confused. Um, I, I I always say it's like the it's like the Amazon effect, right? People or brands are doing it because Amazon trained us to see people who bought this bought that. But I think it's different on Amazon because it's a lot of times impulsive purchases, right? So it's it's not fashion. I'm not going to go, you know, put it on my body and wear it.
2: Yeah, and that um, presumption of like you know customers must know what they're doing and getting suggested. You might also like this other stuff. with these customers also who bought this also bought this other stuff has led me astray so many times. I can't like that was part of the reason I started this business was I would buy the vacuum cleaner attachment that it told me other people bought, but it didn't freaking match the vacuum cleaner that I own because this person must have had two vacuums or their cleaning company or whatever. It's like right. that is not it's not a prescription for success with this product. So that's why I feel like there's a really different um, approach that is missing, and I think. The other thing too, that you talked about, Amazon has kind of coached us. I think that the, just the basic paradigm of e-commerce from the dawn of time, e-commerce time. So like, you know, 19, like late 1990s was the grid page. I hate the grid page. It's, it literally has just forced us all to shop one item at a time and figure everything else out later. FindMind's mission is literally to reorient the shopping experience from buy one, at a, one item at a time to solve a problem. Cause no one, no one wakes up in the morning and says, I want to go buy a pair of shoes. No, like you don't want to go buy a pair of shoes. You want to do the thing that you want to do, whether that's play tennis or ballroom dancing or look great at this work meeting or, you know, replace the shoes that made you feel really cool because they had a little lift in them and you're kind of short. That's me. Like you want to solve a problem. Don't make it. Don't make the tail wag the dog, and that's just what everyone's been doing in e-commerce, just because that's how that's, how it's set up.
1: And you're solving that problem. Um, yeah, I, I I often think about like walking into a store. I walk into like about Nordstrom. Walk into Nordstrom's men department, men's department, and I see where everything's at. I see the dress shirts are over here. I can see the suits are over here. Casual wears are over here, and shoes are back there. And I know where to go, and I can kind of see it. And there's ideas around what you know whatever I'm looking at when I go online and I'm looking at a sport coat, all I see is the sport coat. I can't see the rest of the store. So if they surface up things that I can wear with it, it's like helping me do the shopping, which is what I expect from you know, honestly, online shopping these days, right? I want, I want you to help me. That's that's the benefit of it. Otherwise, what's what's the point? You mentioned AI earlier, and it's a term that everyone throws around these days. I, I feel like since ChatGPT 3.5 came out, I guess about a year ago. Um, every technology company or every MarTech company started saying AI, 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 AI. So, talk about how FineMind uses, like, really uses AI to enable the product to create a better experience for for yeah. the brand and for the consumer.
2: So many thoughts on this. I mean, first of all, maybe companies are all saying AI now when they didn't before because, like us, they were like really early to the party and everyone was like. That's turning me off. And now all of a sudden they're like, hey, we could talk about AI. Finally, great. But then there's certainly a lot of like Me Toos happening where they're like using the same LLMs that everybody else has. And then it's like, where there's no competitive differentiation. And in particular with LLMs, which stands for Large Language Model, it's basically like trying to approximate human general knowledge, which is a crazy feat. And it's like so cool. But also, human general knowledge is by definition not incredibly specific and like pointed and bespoke for a brand like Lululemon versus Athleta versus Adidas versus Nike, right? Like there needs to be differentiation amongst those brands. Human general knowledge, like you ask the person off the street, what's the difference there? Like they're not going to be as crisp and articulate and accurate as if you ask someone who's an expert in the brand. So there's sort of a commoditization that is happening when you're embedding a large language model that has access to the same data as everybody else. So there's a risk to that, which we lucked into, I guess, counteracting very early on because large language models are very expensive and they take you know so much compute cost and human power to make run. Because again, human general knowledge is like know everything in the world. Okay, that doesn't sound like a small task. So with FineMind, our mission originally and always actually to this day has been give the customer, give the consumer that really specific expertise that only the brand has because the brand like they're better at fashion than me they're better at interior design than me they're better at pet care than me whatever it is right they have the expertise so let's unlock it and get it to the consumer more easily and the way we unlock it is we train our ai to behave like a brand expert and so we're not trying to amass all human general knowledge we're going incredibly deep on this one very specific topic. And the type of AI that you need to do that is different than the type of AI that you need to have, you know, human general knowledge be approximated. And so I think that the kind of caution that we give to anyone, it doesn't even have to be someone in the retail industry, but anyone in business who's trying to use AI to further their, their agenda is to know which kind is appropriate for what kind of outcome. And it's always going back to you know, AI is a means to an end. So what is the end? It solved this problem. Okay. Do you even need AI to do that? Sometimes it's really dumb to like try to, it's uh bringing a, uh, you know, a bazooka to a knife fight, right? It's like, just not appropriate to use AI for certain things, just full stop. And then there's different kinds of models of approaches of, um, data sources, uh, it just, all the different kind of, um, analysis that has to go into it to really understand like are you solving this problem appropriately so there's nothing special about that because of ai you should do that for everything in your business if you're trying to you know increase sales and you're like how can we increase sales you're just going to come up with every single thing that you could do and you could be like all right make it stop raining that's a way to increase sales because when it rains i see my my foot traffic decreases i'm going to make it stop raining right Like, how am I going to go about doing that? There's technological ways to do that. There's, you know, like, obviously that would be a crazy, crazy thing to do, but the analysis behind how to do these things and whether or not it's feasible and how to get the most value out of it should be part of your process, no matter what technology you're applying, no matter what, you know, it's kind of, it reminds me of like, when everyone was like, I need an app. Maybe you don't, maybe you don't, maybe you don't need an app, right? It's not for everyone.
1: No, totally. So let me ask you this. Um, if a fashion retailer comes to you, let's say uh, Nordstrom would be a good example, um, or Lululemon, I think you mentioned as well, and I think you work with them, so feel free to use that. Um, what is it that you're doing? So they come to you, they say, here's our website, and we want to create you know, a better experience for our shoppers. That's going to help us you know, lead them down the right path, make them dress better, and obviously sell more product. What what it, what is your AI doing? Are you working with the website? Are you working with the catalog feed? Do you work with the people. Where, where does the AI come into that conversation?
2: Yeah. So basically, at the beginning of the process, we get their product catalog running on a regular cycle. So we get it every few minutes to every twenty four hours, kind of most. So then we know what raw materials we have to work with because a big part of our our value proposition is that we're tying merchandising to marketing, so we can say this sweater is performing behind plan, it needs some marketing support before it has to get marked down or sent to clearance or TJ Maxx or whatever. Let's build some marketing assets around it in the, in the click of a button. I mean, you don't even have to click the button. It happens automatically. So then the inventory is really important, but it's also kind of our, our you know, those are raw materials. That's what we're putting in these assets. So we get that going on a, on a regular basis. And then from that, what we're doing is we're running a bunch of different kinds of AI and just more like heuristic algorithms as well to understand that data at a deeper level, because not everyone has their product catalog tagged beautifully with all these rich attributes that would help us do our job. So we do that automatically. We look at the the image and we get a color palette and we reduce it to a, a multidimensional vector. And that's what gets stored in our database, not like Poppy as the name of the color, right? So we're doing a lot of enrichment from a data perspective on that. And that takes a while to set up. So there's a kind of two-week machine learning training period that we require in order for our our AI to get kind of set up. But what's nice about that is like when you're doing kind of personalization, human behavior is just a huge bell curve. Like there's not a lot of commonality to how customers behave online. And even you from day to day behave differently and I behave differently from day to day. So when you're working with a, a pure personalization software, it has to sit and listen to the what's happening on the website for a long time. It's called the cold start problem before it has enough data to actually make any kind of useful suggestions. My mind doesn't have that issue because we're starting with the brand's point of view, which already exists. So we're teaching our system, hey, here's a bunch of you know, ad campaigns, photo shoots, uh, runway shows, mannequins, whatever, that have already been produced that highlight the products in the kind of editorial fashion and using the expertise that the brand has. And so that is training our system to behave like the brand. And then once that two week training period is over, the training wheels come off and it's able to do those assets with products that haven't ever been shown in assets like that before along the same lines as the humans in the organization and put together these highly curated things. And so examples of those things would be kind of all the way at the beginning of the um, customer journey. You click, you see an ad, you love it, you click on it. And then what happens usually you land on the homepage, you land in a in a product page, or you land on a category page. So the the first and the first and second one are kind of not that inspiring. Landing on a category page is great, but oftentimes it has to be manually programmed, or it's just a bunch of stuff that fits like the spring brunch theme, but it's not actually a bunch of outfits that you can wear to spring brunch. So you still have to mm-hmm. do the work if you were to say, okay, what what, what will go with this? Yeah. What FineMind does in that case, as we say okay, we're an expert in this brand. We're an expert in, um, in this case, fashion, right? Versus if we were working with like, you know, Petco, it would be pets. And the customers clicked on this ad, which is spring brunch. What do we do? We pull from that catalog in real time. We make outfit by outfit, all the things that fit the spring brunch theme. And now you're shopping not product one product at a time, you're shopping whole idea at a time. The idea fits the theme of the thing that inspired you to click in the first place and you're just much more likely to move forward because we've taken a lot of friction out of that process. The other place that could show up too is now you click through to a product and then you can see, you know, complete the look or here's how to style this product maybe the spring brunch way but also where it to work and maybe there's a more edgy way to style it. Again, all informed by the brand's expertise, all the products in stock, they're driving the goals of the the merchant and then you check out and then you get a style guide sent to you in an email to you know, help you build your wardrobe around that product because it's winter now, but soon it'll be spring, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really just inspiring the customer throughout that 360 degree journey, which is what the brand and retailer is already doing. They're just doing it at a very low scale because they can't get around every product. They can't get around every channel the customer might engage with you, et cetera, et cetera.
1: You, you mentioned earlier b- briefly um, something around business rules and everything you're describing here has to do with like, the customer experience and how the brand sort of drives that home to the user so that they engage more and they find what they're looking for. Um, But what did you mean by like the, the business rules? Like what other ways does this help the business? Obviously if someone's buying more product, it increases their average order value, lifetime value, but are there other things that the AI can do if it's analyzing that feed not only to help create a better experience, but maybe with, you know I don't know, inventory or margins or how does it help mm-hmm. along those lines?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think a lot of people forget about the competing priorities of a brand or a retailer. So you can boost conversion till the cows come home if that's all you care about. But two things are gonna suffer. Your margin's gonna suffer. And you're, because you're probably discounting a lot to get people to convert, um, you also might be just like willy-nilly you know, selling things from all, all sorts of different places, um, you know, multiple packages are going out, like you're not con- cared about the logistics of it or anything like that. Um, and your returns are probably super high too, because if you've really goose conversion, like you've convinced the customer to buy something like really quickly without maybe thinking about it, maybe they're going to return it, right? So like the margin going to suffer. Your brand is also going to suffer because if you're sh- just schlocking stuff as fast as you can, where's the expertise? Where's the curation? Where's that? I feel like I'm part of something that causes customer loyalty. So that's kind of one side of the triangle. On the other side, you can goose margin all you want, but your conversion is going to suffer. You can say, I'm never doing a sale again in my life. Well, you know what? Sometimes you just have sales shoppers you're going to have to say goodbye to forever if that's your model. And then there's the the brand part, which is, you know, a lot of people who work in, in fashion companies and not even just fashion, but who like really are driving the kind of creative side they'll literally say like, I don't care about making money. i I just, I'm an artist. Like this is I'm driving this from a creative perspective and that's great, but you can't operate like that in at, at the company level, right? That person is representing that side of the triangle. So you can't squeeze any one of the sides of the triangle. Otherwise things break. And the same is true with, with fine So a lot of software technologies really will just like goose conversion. They'll, they'll boost, you know, average order value or they'll improve margin because they're making more efficient at your distribution center, whatever. I think FindMind is really unique in that we can actually help enhance and keep um, intact all sides of that triangle. So the brand part is is where we're training our machine learning on. So we understand what the bounds are. We would never show something that's going to be kind of off brand for the, the merchant or the, the retailer. And then the conversion piece is just showing an inspirational stuff more often to your customer across the board is going to be better for getting them to buy, buy more, buy more frequently, you know, your revenue is going up there. And then the margin side, all else equal. So if those two things are true, can you use these kind of inspirational shoppable moments that Mind Minds creating to push a product that's performing poorly in inventory? It's not moving as fast as you want. It's not yet like a disaster of a product, but you're just like, maybe we're going to have to drop the price a bit. Maybe we got the supply and demand wrong on this one. But before you pull that lever, which is going to create your margin, why not promote it in a more effective way? why not show your customer how to be comfortable with it? Like that blazer you mentioned that had all the stripes on it. It's like, maybe you didn't buy it because you were like, well, I don't really know. I'm going to look like a crazy quilt, right? (laughs) If that's going to stop you from buying it and you could get the customer over that hurdle, then they will buy it instead. Now you've got conversion. Now you've got margin. So you can elevate both of those things by, by having that right combination. And then the last thing on the margin side is, this isn't really relevant for every brand, but a lot of brands who have some scale have multiple distribution centers. And so like all else equal, if we're going to show you an asset that's got five products in it, let's show you an asset has five products in it. It's all the the feeling of it is on brand. You know, it's going to drive revenue. It's going to drive margin, but also those five products come from the same place. So you don't have to send two boxes if you're lucky enough to get the customer to buy something. And it just seems like such an obvious thing that is so incredibly hard to do when you actually dig into what it would take in a normal organization to do what I described. But so with something like Find Mind Connected, you can do it dynamically.
1: That that's as you're talking, it's it's I was thinking about what trends we're seeing industry wide, right? And you see, uh, you know, at first it was brands felt like they were competing with Amazon, right? Because Amazon made it easy to, for shipping and it was faster and it was free if you had Prime. And um, it, it just it just made brands feel like, oh, I have to compete now on price. And then um, and then, then, retail media popped up. Well, if you can't sell products, they're going to come here and shop, but they're going to go buy at Amazon. Then I might as well sell advertising and make my money. When... I think about some of those brands that are doing these or having these behaviors, their experience isn't great. So they haven't done anything to to make me want to come to their website where it, it feels like they could compete better, but differently. They don't have to compete with Amazon by their rules. They can compete by creating a better experience, being really smart with the products they're recommending and being really thoughtful about, okay, I'm going to recommend these products because it's available in the same warehouse closest to the consumer. If, if, if you're fortunate enough to have that, which reduces shipping costs, which reduces returns. I mean, I buy Mm -hmm. my wife too. We buy so much stuff from Amazon. We know we're going to return it because it's easy and they don't make it. I mean, right. But if, I had confidence, in when I was buying, I wouldn't. I wouldn't shop that way. They've trained me to do really bad things, um, yeah. and it's hurting other other retailers. So I think that's a really, really strong position beyond just the user experience. Um, what are shift a little bit, but what are what are some of the most interesting things? Or give us one example of an interesting thing, uh, or interesting way a brand has used FineMind beyond like, okay, you're looking at these pants. Here's some shirts and shoes, like. Are there interesting, other interesting ways? You mentioned category pages. I don't, I don't know if you have something yeah. that rises to the top.
2: Yeah, so a couple examples. One is that um, at the end of the day, FineWine is a dynamic content engine. So we're just kind of creating this stuff on the fly and then it can live wherever you want it to live. You call our API and you put it there. So one of our customers actually took that API and put it in customer care. They like stitched it together with Salesforce Service Cloud and they, they, they shoved that content in as a next best action in front of the care agent who's chatting or talking with a customer, to help that person level up their expertise because call center agents are not interior designers, they're not stylists, they're not—they don't have that expertise. And especially for this particular customer, which is a multi-brand retailer, they're like a department store. You can't possibly be an expert in vacuum cleaners and and you know like uh, rugs and all the things. Yeah. There's just too many products that you sell. So what we're doing is we're auto suggesting to that call center agent. Based on this product and based on this customer, based on the expertise of the brand or the retailer and the brands that the retailer sells, because this retailer sells Estee Lauder and they sell, you know, all these different branded products that have their own expertise too. Um, And that's kind of a retail media solution, which we can talk about, but we're suggesting to that call center agent, here's the best interior design guide for the products that the customer is interested in. And they can just read it off to them on the phone. They can send it to them via email. They can share it in the chat. There's so many ways to just elevate that person's ability to help the customer and inspire them. And I thought that was a really cool use case because you don't really, customer care is kind of like not, you know, it's not marketing necessarily, but it's part of the bow tie and you have to care about that part.
1: Yeah, it's a great way to get more more revenue out of the consumer. And I guess the, the same would be true in store too. Like I think we have this old school way of thinking, like there was a time um, where you went to a store because you trusted the expertise of the people that work there but those days are long gone so it feels like you could use technology like that so i walk into a store whether it's an electronic store or a you know a clothing store or furniture store i i could i, I shouldn't expect the person that works there to be this interior designer uh, or fashion designer right but if they have tools that can help them i'm okay with that as long as they, i don't have the tool but if they have the tool i i don't really expect them to be so um, it's yeah. So it's interesting. So it goes way beyond the, the website. It's just, um, it, it can be used for client telling or customer service. And I'm, uh, I'm sure there's some other other use cases that you're thinking of for the future. Well,
2: and you mentioned like you don't have the tool, but you actually do. If in certain cases in the store, like we actually give the customer directly the ability to do this self-service style if you're not there with the store associate. Because in certain business models, the store associates just not around like they're not that's not what they're they there for because the 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 business is set up differently right like you know fast moving consumer goods and things like that um so we actually have like customer facing like you could scan a qr code and it's like hey take a picture of anything in the store and we're going to like give you more information about oh, wow. and how to use it or in a touch screen display we have a touch screen display integration in a, in a dressing room for a very large um uh fashion brand so there's lots of ways that you can wow. bring this to the customer without having to rely on the store associates being there and willing to adopt technology and all the kind of stuff that, that can be challenging. What we find to be successful is when the store associates already have some kind of technology that they're leveraging, but we infuse into that because then the, we elevate the content and the expertise within that, but then there's not the like learning curve of trying to you know get them to use a tablet when they're not used to doing that as part of their process.
1: Yeah. When you, when you position it that way, FineMind's really, it's a commerce company. It's not e-commerce, it's all commerce. So that's, so what's the the long-term vision for the company? Where do you go? I mean, I think you talked about all the things you're doing today, but where do you see it going? What's new? What's on the roadmap?
2: Yeah. So our mission and vision is always going to be the same, which is take friction out of the user's journey when it comes to commerce and help reorient that you know, buy one item at a time to solve a problem. And so there's so much to be done within that mission will never end. Um, but kind of the more near term stuff is going to be really around keeping up with all the places that consumers are moving to and bringing commerce to those moments in an authentic way and, and creating the expertise of the brand in that environment. So like TikTok's a thing now, but you know, the next thing is going to be some other social media platform it'll be the metaverse maybe one day you know like yeah who knows where we're going to end up in terms of our touch points with the brands as consumers and then the second thing is really around generative ai like in a world where you don't have a human model wearing physically produced clothing standing in a real world environment getting a photograph taken and then edited and then put up on the site where it's all synthetically generated which I think we're not there yet. I mean, I don't know if you played around with these kind of visual tools, mm-hmm. but like we were like sta- stable diffusion, make a look for a banana Republic. Just see what, what happens. It's like, there's arms coming out of next there's like more, <laughs> you know, it's just not high enough quality yet, but it will get there. Cause there's a, um, acceleration to this kind of technology. And so it's not implausible to think that it's going to all be synthetically generated at a certain point in the future. However, that does not disintermediate fine mind. That makes fine mind even more important because we like to say we're the brain, not the face. We don't care what it looks like, what you're, the asset you're showing your consumer. It can be existing products in existing photography. It could be 3D rendered. It could be CGI. It could be in AR, VR, whatever. It could be a collage. It can be on the model. It doesn't matter. However you want to show that asset, some human at the brand will still have to decide what goes into that. You'll still have to decide, what am I trying to make my customer feel? What do we stand for as a brand? What are the products I'm trying to push? Unless you have FindMine installed. And, you know, I talk to a lot of investors and so people are sort of like worried about, you know, oh, is well, yes, that we can get disintermediated. And people are like, oh, we're going to, um, our customers, our brand's going to train uh, like Dolly or Stable Diffusion or whatever, like their brand, feed their brand. And then just use that instead of using FindMine to be the brain. I'm like, yeah, they could, but here's what they have to do. Stable diffusion and, you know, Dolly and all these kind of AI for marketing use cases, their value propositions, you can let go of all these marketers, right? Save all this costs. So you let go of all these marketers. Cool. We're going to use stable diffusion. Now you have to teach the, the LLM what your brand is. Okay. Well, the people who do that kind of work are called prompt engineers and they're data scientists. Data scientists are not marketers. What? What is the brand? How do I describe what our brand stands for? I'm not a creative person. I'm a, I mean, maybe they're creative people, but they're not like the creatives, right? Who are driving the brand. So now I have to co-opt a whole bunch of marketing people back over onto the data science side to teach the system what our brand is. And now you've ended up spending more cost than you were gonna save by letting go all these, you know, kind of producer level people. So in that thing, that happens again and again and again and again in every single brand. So just from an economic value perspective it doesn't make sense for every single brand to have to go through that process when FineMind has the economies of scale in our software that says whatever your brand is we know how to take it and translate it to any different you know platform so what we did with this you know stability um banana republic lookbook kind of just fun experiment what what came out it looked like j crew it was just like it was the same as their competitors like this doesn't make any sense um holding aside all the weird hallucinations and, you know, thumbs in different places. And, stuff. and so what we did was we said, okay, do it again, but run through FindMind first. And the quality and sort of fidelity to the brand got so mm-hmm. much better just by doing that. So that's kind of the future where like all these technologies that are doing the rendering application from a generative AI perspective will be using, will be run through FindMind to make sure that it's close enough to the brand and if not correct it to make it better. Because the other problem is with text, you can be like wordsmith, wordsmith, change this. Okay, you're done. With visuals, you can be like, I know it's wrong, but I don't know how to make it right. <laughs> like it's just weird, but I can't even articulate what to change about it. So that is something FineMind solves in the future.
1: Yeah, no, I, I can I can totally see that. Um I was messing around with it to build a logo and I love the logo, um, but it was spelled it spelled the company name wrong, even though I inputted it properly. So I said, redo it exactly like it is, but spell the name correctly. And I put it in quotes. But it gave me a whole new logo. It was so frustrating. So I can, you know, and if you think about it, you're right. It's, it's very generic. It's a very generic platform. And so I can keep refining and refining and refining with my words, but it's going to need some level of technology on top of it to do something specific like you're describing there. Um, so there's some, it seems like there's some obvious ways to measure success, right? Like, Increase cart size, increase lifetime value, higher margins. But there's a lot more to it than that, right? There's like you talked about the shipping costs and the return. Like what are, when you work with a brand, like let's say you were talking to a new brand today, a new prospect. um, How would you tell them to measure success? Like so that they can set the right expectations internally and give you some benchmarks or have some benchmarks. You know, they go to their CFO and say, I need this budget they need to hit. Um, how, how should they think about measurement?
2: Yeah, that's really funny. Cause like the call I have after this is to do that <laughs> with a big company. And that's sort funny. Of like, can we started to do something? We, we think we know what we know, but we don't know what we don't know. And so we have to kind of like help them paint the picture because it is really easy to just be like, okay, conversion. It's just a conversion tool. And you like, you think about it as the tip of the iceberg. We actually have a slide in this deck I'm about to present. That's literally a floating chunk of ice You know, so you see the the tip at the, at the top above the Mm -hmm. waterline is the same as the tip over here, but this is a floating chunk of ice and this is a giant iceberg underneath the waterline. And that's how we think about our business. And so a lot of times when we come in and like talk to these brands, they're like thinking so small and you're like, why? And it's sad because they're like, because we don't, we don't feel like we can think any bigger. Like we're not, you know, it just doesn't feel feasible even to get out of the most basics because they
1: don't, they don't know what they don't know.
2: Yeah. And the tools and technologies they've been using to try to get the customer inspired consistently across the journey, just woefully inadequate. Like it's a terrible experience for them to have to try to set it up. So of course it's not going to be a great experience for the consumer. So a lot of it is really just around coaching, like why all this coming together could be the most impactful thing you do for your business this year with the least amount of effort so like from an roi perspective our customers are getting like 40x roi and higher like it's crazy the rois that they're getting the way we measure it is we do measure conversion and average order value but one of the things that we always encourage our customers to think about is not to set the measurement time frame to a 30 minute session because if you're thinking about inspiration it's not like an immediate thing right it can be and for a lot of people it is one of the main metrics for revenue that drives revenue that we see go up is actually repeat purchase because you're engendering trust with your customer. And maybe they don't need to buy that thing right now, but they're going to remember that, you know, Oh, right. Like they really had all the stuff that I would need for my new puppy right there on the homepage. And it was easy for me to figure out. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I actually had a lot of that stuff. So I didn't need to buy anything, but that was a really helpful thing. I wonder now that my puppy's older and, going through these obedience issues and whatever. Maybe that brand has something else for me. So it draws them back because they feel that um, that trust, that support from that expertise that they don't usually get. And the bar is so low. I mean, like if you talk about Amazon, like where's the where's the trust? Where's the expertise? We're just not used to getting it as consumers. So if you can just provide that, the loyalty is just crazy how much it goes up. And so it almost like overshadows any conversion or average order value lift or anything like that, like to... A really big degree, so we want to measure it in kind of a longer term timeframe. And then margin. Think about how we're pushing products that you might have to go on sale. And if we can clear it out without having to go on sale, talk about like a big benefit. We we cleared out a hundred thousand units of one product at full price versus having to mark that down by thirty percent and sell it at cost or at a loss. That has a massive impact to the CFO and their world you know, the, the people in e-commerce who are doing like merchandising and stuff like that, or maybe not merchandising, but like e-commerce leaders, um, VPs of e com stuff like that. They're usually not gold on margin. That's kind of the, you know, the the merchant that's over both retail and e-coms job to have to worry about the CFO's job to have to worry about. So like, it's important when we're talking to a company to get to the leaders at a high enough level where they ha- they can break a tie. Because otherwise it's like, okay, you might just, buy this awesome technology and use it for one of like 300 things that it could be great at for you because that one person is only gold on conversion. So of course she's only going to care about conversion. Why would I stick my neck out for margin if it could hurt conversion or margin is not part of my remit, right? And these organizations are so siloed, but I think FindMind is a really great opportunity to break down those silos and help everyone play team ball. Team ball being that triangle, it's sales, it's smart, it's profitability. And its brand, its long-term health of the brand.
1: Yeah. Do do the brands share with you margin? Because I think about what you just said. If their average order value, say, goes up to a hundred dollars, I say maybe it was at eighty now it goes up to a hundred, but the margins, you know, eighty dollars for sixty dollars, right? Maybe your maybe your AOB didn't go up, but your margin is twenty dollars higher. If they're not looking at margin, then they don't see that. If you don't if you don't have visibility into it, you can't optimize to it. So yeah. do you do all your clients? Brands, do they all give you um, access to the margin so you can see that in real time?
2: Unfortunately, no. I mean, I think it's a huge miss, like both on our part and on their part, because there's, you can't measure what you don't, or you can't Mm -hmm. change what you don't measure, right? So one of the things that we do, we can approximate it. So certain product types are of just higher margin right? Like there's certain things that are just less expensive to make than shoes. And so you can, you can approximate it by saying, and you can actually get a lot of this because a lot of companies we work with are publicly traded and they'll talk about different lines of their business and the margins within each of them. And so you can see what their overall margin is. You know, we know what the mix of products that they're selling are. So there's ways to approximate it. We also get a lot of like anecdotal information from the merchants individually who are like, we bought too much of this shoe, help us right and then we can we can clear it out so we know what the full price price of it was we also know what the clear the what the what they discount to so if they'd had to discount it would have been a 30% discount or whatever so like then you can actually measure what the dollar amount swing was even if you don't know what the cost to produce that product so there's definitely ways to get around it and then the other way too is like really simple just in the product feed they can set a flag it's like push yes or no or high margin yes or no cuz like we don't actually need to know the cost of every single product or the margin of every single product because it's really sensitive information. They Mm -hmm. might not want to share that. Totally understand it. There's other ways that you can still make sure you're pushing the strategic products to help them improve their margin.
1: Okay. That makes sense. Um, So take us through how somebody would get started, right? Like how long is that process? Say today you get off this call, the client says, okay, let's get going. Take us through that process to where they're at scale, right? Um, and I know it sounds like there's a lot of price they can add on, but how long does it take to get yeah. to get going?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's so much low hanging fruit, like I said before, right? Like the bar is low <laughs> compared to what consumers are used to. So um, we typically, we get the product feed. Um, you know, we do the, you know, contract and all that kind of stuff, the security review, like the the DPA, all the things you kind of have to do as a software provider to these brands and retailers. But what's nice about that is that we don't have any PII. We're not trying to like, you know, store credit card information or anything like that. All of the, um, sense, not sensitive, but all of the sort of personal info we get is really just like click stream data. And like, it's all anonymous. It's what products people are engaging with and that's it. So the sensitivity level is, is lower. Um, and we have we're all GDPR compliant and all the things. Um, so once, you know, that's out of the way, we get the product feed, we ingest it. We do that two week training and while that's happening. We give a, our front end. So it's either the, the API or the JavaScript widget to the brand or retailer to install in the part of the customer journey that they want my mind to show up in. And we usually have them do two to three to start rather than just single source, you know, just one part of the customer journey, because you're just not getting enough of the benefit. And then um, we QA and we turn it on. So in that process, there's a co- you know, couple conversations with the merchants. We make sure that they're reviewing during the onboarding phase, the content that's coming out, And what we want is to have them not be able to tell the difference between something that was manually created and something that the system has has produced. Um, And once we meet that bar, we just go live. And from day one, you can start adding value, you know, driving increased KPIs because we don't have to sit and listen like you would that uh, in the in the personalization.
1: Who who are the who are the typical people involved in this process from the pitch? to the day-to-day management of it. Is it the same people or do you find you're brought in by marketing, executed by e-commerce? Like who are the roles? I know it probably varies by company, but generally speaking.
2: Yeah. So I would say like chief digital officer or CMO are kind of our main kind of um leadership constituents. And then the CFO is usually the one like signing it. So that they have to be the one to approve the business case. But CFO or C or chief digital officer and then the kind of day-to-day um not even day to day necessarily, but sort of like uh project management and kind of helping shepherd it through and looking at the analytics and then also like the day to day as well um are either merchants merchandising or marketing um and, bo- okay. and bo- or both and so they're the ones who are going to helping set the vision approve the early output of the content um, make any adjustments before we go live. And then there's really not a lot from a day-to-day perspective for them to do. It's very low touch. Um, it's because it's real AI. We don't have to have them like review and approve everything because it's self-learning. It gets smarter over time. So from a day-to-day perspective, they're just kind of like reaping the benefits of this. And then like once a month we will do kind of reviews of it. Um, talk about, you know, any strategic products that are important to push, um, any kind of collaborations that you're doing with like a celebrity or something like what's new about your business for the next kind of month or quarter, and then making any adjustments that we need to, to the system. But they're also getting all this reporting. So we can show them asset by asset, what is driving the most revenue for them and what's the margin improvement and what is the revenue improvement and which products are popping and which products are not doing well. So they can kind of adjust how they think about their business more holistically. And we actually had. It's like a store merchandiser, reoriented how the store was laid out based on data that, that FineMind's oh, wow. content revealed about how products were selling in proportion to each other when placed in the same asset. It was super cool. Oh,
1: that's amazing. Well, that's a wrap for today's show. Shell, thank you for being here in the matrix and sharing your insights on FineMind, shopper experiences, AI, outfitting technology. And until next time, take care.
2: Thanks, Sean. This was fun.
1: Yeah. Great.
0: Appreciate it.
2: This episode of the MarTech Matrix was brought to you
0: by the Cogent Collective, a community for marketing and e-commerce leaders. Learn more and inquire about membership at CogentCollective.com. For show notes and information on upcoming episodes, head on over to the MarTechMatrix.com where you can submit questions for upcoming guests. Once again, Thank you, Michelle, for joining us today and educating our audience on the FindMind platform, AI, content creation, and how to create better e-commerce experiences that drive more revenue, margin, and lifetime value. If you would like to learn more about FindMind and see if they are a good fit for your e-commerce or marketing strategy, send Sean a note to sean at cogencollective.com. New episodes of the MarTech Matrix podcast will drop every Monday. So be sure to subscribe with your favorite podcast network so you can stay on top of what's happening in the matrix. Next week, Larry Grella, president of Clear Trust Media, will enter the matrix to discuss how digital out-of-home advertising and how modern approach to this mature medium can amplify other marketing channels and drive a better overall ROI. So be sure to tune in. Until then, don't get lost in the MarTech matrix.